You've got shit. I've got shit. We've all got shit. So let's therapize that shit with your host, me, Joy Gerhard. Please note, I am not a therapist. I cannot and do not diagnose anyone or prescribe anything. This is just me, someone who struggles with mental illness, emotions, and intrusive thoughts, sharing what skills I've used and how I've used them. Also, trigger warning, in this podcast, I talk about sensitive topics including mental illness, suicidal ideation, self-harm, rape, childhood sexual assault, trauma, and more. I also swear here and there, so listener discretion is advised. If you're new to the podcast, some context for you. I've gotten a ton of value out of doing group therapy and watching others process their shit. In group, I can see other people's patterns and behaviors much more clearly because they aren't my patterns and behaviors, but rather they're adjacent to mine. It's such a relief. I want to share this relief with you via this podcast, wherein I practice skills while actually in the thick of shit. Each episode, I typically do an introduction and provide some context. Then I play a recording of me actively dealing with shit. This isn't me talking about psychology or theories. I'm actually in distress, having strong emotions and strong urges. You're going to hear me crying, angry, numb. But my intention is always to move through an emotion, never to stay there. So stick with me, and we'll actually come out on the other side by the end of the episode. Alrighty, let's hop to it. Welcome, welcome to episode, what are we, 35? Hot damn. My productivity has gone through the roof because I'm experiencing some pretty intense chronic pain right now, and that means I'm just spending a lot of time sitting in bed and not going to the gym. Yeah, it's been about 10 days of constant chronic pain, which is not fun. I've gotten to practice a lot of please skills, like treating illness and listening to my body, which I'm not wild about, and it seems to have been necessary anyway. So here we are. So about today's recording, I am recording this commentary on April 3rd, 2023, and the recording that I'm about to play for you was recorded on June 13th, 2022, like 10 months ago or so. And the recording starts with me having a lot of anxiety while doing my exposure homework. I was doing DBT PE. And so hang on, let's brief orientation. So you know what all those initials mean. DBT stands for dialectic behavioral therapy and is my therapy type of choice, the one that works the best for my brain. Um, it was created by Marsha Linehan, who also wrote the DBT manual, which is what I reference when I talk about handouts. The DBT manual is linked in the description, both in a PDF form and where you can buy a hard copy. Whenever I'm quoting from the DBT manual or really anybody else's work other than my own, I will turn on a little bit of a reverb sound effect so that I sound like I'm at the Met Gala, or more accurately, in a bathroom at the Met Gala. <laughs> I will be referencing handouts from several of the DBT modules, of which there are four, mindfulness, interpersonal effectiveness, emotion regulation, and distress tolerance. So when I mention a handout that I'm reading from, I'll say something like, this is from distress tolerance handout 12, or whatever, so you can follow along if you are so inclined. 
So that's what DBT is. And the DBTPE that I mentioned, doing at the very beginning of the recording that I'm about to play for you, PE stands for prolonged exposure. And in particular, I'm focusing on doing prolonged exposure to traumatic invalidation. I went over this in detail in episode 28. So I'm not going to go over it a ton here. Uh, Rather, I highly, highly recommend that you go and listen to the first 20 or 30 minutes of that episode if you need an orientation to what exposure is. Um, I go over what trauma is, what PTSD is, what makes PTSD become chronic, what exposure is, and what in vivo and imaginal exposures are. So again, that's all in episode 28. But real quick right now, I'm going to give a very quick and dirty summary of what DBT prolonged exposure is. This is based off of Melanie Harned's book on the DBT prolonged exposure protocol, which I've linked in the description. PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder, and it becomes chronic and sticks around due to two main things, harmful beliefs and avoidance. In my case, one of the things that I have PTSD from is rape as an adult. So I'm raped, my nervous system is overwhelmed and tries to protect me, so my brain generates thoughts like, men aren't safe, dating isn't safe, I need to self-harm so that my outsides match my insides. And those thoughts have me then avoid men dating and riding out strong emotions. Like, self-harming feels better than sitting in those strong emotions, so let's self-harm instead. Uh, I avoid things, and that avoidance has me then relate to them as scary and dangerous, so I avoid them more, so I'm more afraid of them, et cetera, et cetera, ad nauseum, ad infinitum. And prolonged exposure therapy basically removes the avoidance piece. I start small with things that cause me like a three out of 10 in terms of distress level. And slowly I work up to doing things that I'm avoiding at a like 10 out of 10 distress level. And I do exposure to two things. One, to my memories of the event, and that's called imaginal exposure. And two is doing exposure to activities that I avoid, which is called in vivo exposure, which is Latin for in life. So like throughout my daily life. And I use an exposure form. There's a link in the description to examples of what my exposure forms look like. And I'll post them on Instagram too. Um, But before I do exposure, I write down my emotional state, what I'm worried will happen during the exposure and what my urges are. And then I do the exposure and afterwards I write down my emotional state and whether the thing I was afraid of actually happened. And sometimes it doesn't happen, which is good information to tell my brain. And sometimes the thing I'm afraid of does happen and I survive it and write it out, which is also good information to tell my brain. And I do this with gradually increasing intensity over many months. Uh, Six years ago, I did exposure to my first adult rape, and like I said, now I'm doing exposure to traumatic invalidation. So that's DBTPE in a nutshell. Getting back to the recording that you're going to hear in a second, it takes place about three months into doing exposure. And at that point, one of my in vivo exposure tasks, the thing that I do in life, not, not to a memory, but to an actual task, was to apply to jobs because one of the greatest sources of invalidation for me has been in the workplace. And I have a ton of anxiety come up when I think about applying to jobs. So I avoid it. And I avoid thinking about going back to work. I avoid doing anything that could make me more hireable, (laughs) like getting certifications or taking online courses. I avoid talking about going back to work. I like 
yeah, I avoid it all. So at the start of the recording, you're going to hear me kind of be a bit repetitive because there's a new thought rut that I'm trying to entrench for myself. I've talked before about how a lot of my hopelessness thoughts are like (laughs) water flowing down the path of least resistance. And like a drop of water in Arizona, it loves the Grand Canyon. So a lot of my thoughts end up in this, it's hopeless Grand Canyon. And in order to have that water go somewhere else, those thoughts go somewhere else, I need to do two things. One, I need to stop making my Grand Canyon deeper. And every time I go down that path, it gets deeper. So I need to stop going down that path. And two, I need to create other new thought ruts. So other canyons for my thoughts to go down, which requires practice, 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 which is why I repeat a lot at the start of the recording. Yeah, but the rest of this recording, um, folks, you want to hear what intellectualizing emotion sounds like? That's a lot of what this recording is. And it's actually, it ends up being kind of a great example of what not to do. And I promise that in my outro, I will actually be way more effective and way more skillful and will actually practice legitimately feeling my emotions for real. So past joy, take it away. Okay, we're having a spectacular uh, emotional something, breakdown something, Uh, doing exposure. It's not going great, so let's talk about it. I'm doing exposure to looking for jobs. I'm looking at job postings. And when I notice gaps in what the job requires and what my skills are, I write down what it would look like to fill in that gap. So if there's a software that the job requires and I don't know, I write down what that gap is. And In addition, I'm also observing when I'm fortune-telling or predicting the future about how a job might go and reminding myself that when I observe that I'm predicting the future, remind myself that I don't know how the future will go and that that there may be possibilities, good or neutral possibilities, that I can't conceive of yet. So I am looking at these jobs and seeing all of the ways that I am not qualified and all of the gaps that I have and feeling a lot of hopelessness and feeling a lot of shame and feeling a lot of despair at ever actually being able to fill the gaps because one of the things I have been paying attention to since my autism diagnosis is my experience of learning new things and... I'm realizing that I um, I don't learn well from other people, like, at all. When I was in school, I was a straight-A student, consistently set the curve in class. I don't know that there's a person alive who would have related to me as a bad student. And bad, of course, is a judgment. Judgment, judgment. If you're new to the podcast and you're not familiar with that, uh, it's a thing I, I say when I notice that I'm judging. I just... Well, say out loud, judgment, 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 to draw attention to it. Bad is a judgment. Good is also a judgment. But at any rate, I don't know that there's a person alive who would have uh, viewed me as a bad student. But really, what I would do is I would go to class 
and just, I don't remember paying attention. I don't remember learning anything in class. The bulk of what I learned was out of class when I got home. And class was an opportunity for me to figure out what the objectives were. What am I supposed to be learning? And then I get home and teach myself to that objective. And I recopied notes. I remember in college, uh, checking out, like reserving one, one of those private little study rooms in the library. And I would plop my backpack in one of the chairs and teach my back. And I would draw things on the board and I would explain and I would talk out loud to this backpack. I don't learn well from others. And the idea of having to take like an online course, I f- feel sick to my stomach about it. I don't learn well for the sake of learning. I learn to an objective. Like, here's a thing I need to be able to make. So I need to learn the skills to make that thing. Like learning is not an adequate enough objective for me because I could see the possibility of like hacking my own brain and being like, hey, well, if you need to learn to an objective, make learning the objective. No, no, it needs to be an application, something that I can apply. And that's why I learn well on the job, like really fucking well on the job. I figure it out as I go. And then looking at all these job descriptions and seeing all of the things that they require and feeling really fucking hopeless. So right now I am observing that I am predicting how a job might go. And so I am reminding myself that I don't know how the future will go and that there may be possibilities, good or neutral, that I can't conceive of yet. What my therapist asked me to add to my exposure when I noticed myself spiraling to stop and observe that I am predicting the future about how a job is going to go because fear is future-based. I'm afraid it's about something that might happen in the future. So when I notice my fear jacking up, the thing to do is to observe that I'm predicting the future of how a job might go and remind myself that I don't know how the future will go, and also remind myself that there may be possibilities, good or neutral, that I can't conceive of yet. I feel like shit. What is this? I don't know what this is, what I'm feeling. I think it's despair, hopelessness. So let's look it up, shall we? I'm going to Emotion Regulation Handout 6, and let's take a look at where hopelessness and despair fall. Uh, Emotion Regulation Handout 6 in the DBT manual, uh, it's 10 pages long, and each page is a a separate main emotion. And so I'm going to check out the sadness page. Sadness. Some synonyms for sadness. Despair. (laughs) Grief, misery, agony, disappointment, homesickness, neglect, alienation, discontentment, Pity, anguish, dismay, hurt, rejection, crushed, displeasure, insecurity, sorrow, defeat, distraught, disconnected, suffering, dejection, gloom, loneliness, unhappiness, depression, glumness, melancholy, alone, and woe. W-O-E. So each page has several different um, sections for each emotion, and... They start with the synonyms for that emotion, the sadness words I just read to you. Um, And then there's prompting events for feeling sadness. So the event itself prompts sadness. 
and then interpretations of events that prompt feelings of sadness. So interpretations are distinct and separate from prompting events. And I've talked about this before, uh, I think in episode four, actually, the emotion wheel. In the DBT manual, it's emotion regulation handout five, which is a model for describing emotions. I hate that page. I don't like the way it's laid out. I think it's confusing and overly complicated. So I prefer the emotion wheel uh, model. I think it's a more effective visual representation. The experience of having emotions uh, is typically comprised of three components. The experience, so what it feels like in my body. The expression, what it will look like to someone standing outside of me. And echoes, so how that emotion kind of continues on throughout the rest of the day. A great example of this is like if I have um, a ton of sadness and I cry a lot, I'll have like a cry hangover. Even if I stop feeling sad, um, I will feel like I have, you know, a headache and like I'm dehydrated for the rest of the day because I've cried a lot. So that's an example of like an echo. And so what gets the e-wheel, the emotion wheel spinning? It's one of two things, an event, so a thing that happens, or my interpretation of an event. So the thoughts I have about an event. And those are distinct. Those are separate things. Oftentimes, our interpretations of an event get smashed up with the actual event. I, <laughs> I think of two cars in a head-on collision where when EMTs arrive at the scene, they have to like get a crowbar in between those cars because the, the metal has basically fused to each other. And it is no longer two cars. <laughs> it is one car. And they need to get a pry bar in there and kind of create some room and separate those cars. Being able to see the difference between the event and my interpretation of the event is what creates that space. Because the interpretation, my interpretation, my thoughts about the event aren't what actually happened. They're the thoughts I have about what happened. Um, an example I've, I think I've told before in the podcast is if I'm walking down the hall and my sister jumps out at me and scares me, that event her jumping out at me and scaring me causes fear, right? I will, I will shriek, I will jump, I will gasp and clutch my pearls, or I don't wear pearls, uh, like slap my hand over my chest, my heart rate will go up, like I'll have this whole experience. And I don't have to have the thought, oh my goodness, this is scary to have that experience, right? The event itself, having someone jump out at me will cause that. So that is the event getting the emotion wheel to spin. And in this case, the emotion is fear, right? Now, I can have the thought then, my sister's an asshole. She doesn't care about me. She knows I hate this. What is wrong with her? And that can trigger anger. So those are all thoughts. Like, my sister is an asshole is not the thing that happened. Her not caring about me is not the thing that happened. The thing that happened was she jumped out from behind a door at me. So my interpretation that she doesn't care about me, that I don't feel safe around her, all of that can trigger emotions as well, independent of the actual event. Another example that I've used a lot on this podcast is like if it's my wedding day and I look out the window and it's raining, the event that happened is it's raining. What I'll think is, oh my God, my wedding's ruined. Now, my wedding is ruined isn't what actually happened. It's raining is what happened. And saying or thinking my wedding is ruined 
That's my interpretation. That's the thought I'm having about the rain. And ruined is also a judgment. So really, if I were to say it non-judgmentally, I would say I was planning on having my wedding outdoors and I was excited about having my wedding outdoors. And I'm really disappointed that I don't get to have my wedding outside because it's raining. I'm really bummed about that. And we are going to have to move inside. And I'm disappointed about that as well because that is not what I wanted. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, like... That's me kind of transmutating that judgment when my wedding is ruined into the facts. Here's the thoughts I'm having here. Here's the feelings I'm having. And it creates a tiny little bit of distance, that little pry bar getting in there between the event and my interpretation of the event. So getting back to sadness, there are prompting events for sadness and there are prompting interpretations of events for sadness. So we're jumping back to emotion regulation handout six. Prompting events for feeling sadness. Losing someone irretrievably, the death of someone you love, things not being what you expected or wanted, things being worse than you expected, being separated from someone you care for, getting what you don't want, not getting what you've worked for, not getting what you believe you need in life, being rejected, disapproved of, or excluded, discovering that you are powerless or helpless, being with someone else who is sad or in pain, reading or hearing about other people's problems or troubles in the world, being alone or feeling isolated or like an outsider, thinking about everything you have not gotten, thinking about your losses, thinking about missing someone. So I had been sitting over here thinking that hopelessness was uh, kind of fear, I guess, because hopelessness is is future-based. Like, I have no hope. I have no hope that the future will be different. And I kind of assumed that anything that's future-based is fear-related. But listing off these prompting events for feeling sadness, a couple of these show up around reading job postings. Things not being what you expected or wanted. Things being worse than you expected. Not getting what you've worked for. Not getting what you believe you need in life. Yeah, so I certainly, like, reading these descriptions, they're worse than what I expected. Like, I don't have the qualifications that would have me be qualified to get the job. Um, And then, of course, I have the... Well, so interesting. The other two, like not getting what you've worked for and not getting what you believe you need in life, that that hasn't happened yet. Like, I'm anticipating that I will not get a job and that I will not get what I need. Right now, I'm sitting in my room. So... Those are kind of interpretations, like believing that I'm not getting what I've worked for and believing I'm not getting what I believe I need in life. Those are more interpretations of events that prompt feelings of sadness. So I'm going to list some of those here. Interpretations of events that prompt feelings of sadness. Believing that a separation from someone will last for a long time or will never end. Believing that you will not get what you want or need in life. Seeing things or your life as hopeless. Believing that you are worthless or not valuable. Okay, fine. So I'm having a lot of interpretations that are prompting sadness. Seeing things or your life as hopeless, definitely. Like, I cannot conceive of a job that would be a good fit, that would feel sustainable and healthy for me. Because the other problem that I have is I'm on Medicaid right now, right? And that requires me to be below a certain income And because I'm on Medicaid, I am able to, like, all of my medical expenses are covered. So, with the exception of my therapy, which I have to pay for out of pocket. But, like, my psych hospitalizations were covered, um, including the the ambulance ride. ER visits have been covered. Um, 
I have pelvic floor spasm and I get Botox injections and I can get those under anesthesia and that's covered. Like all of these things are covered. And if I calculated how much I would have to make if I were off Medicaid and paying for these out of pocket or like paying the, my deductible on health insurance, I would need like deep six figures in order to come out ahead. Um, because if I just made like 40,000 a year, that's more than what I can make and still be on Medicaid, but not enough to cover all of the expenses that I suddenly now have to pay for because I'm no longer eligible for Medicaid. <laughs> is infuriating. And that triggers a lot of helplessness and hopelessness. Like in order to stay on Medicaid, I have to stay below a certain income threshold. I have to stay in poverty. And I have been in poverty since 2016. So that's almost six years now. I'm also worried that if I got a job that had like amazing benefits, amazing health insurance, and would cover all of these things, I have the concern that I would I would stay in that job for the benefits, even if it was a super unhealthy situation for me. And I have stayed in every job that I've had as an adult. I have gotten burnt out after a year and have stayed for at least three and then had to take, I mean, so grad school, for example, it was also a job. Um, and I knew it was a bad fit after the first year and I stayed for four and then had to take three years off. I couldn't function. Um, I couldn't focus. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. I was so burnt out. And so I have the concern that if I have a job that has really good benefits, that I will stay in this job for the benefits and just utterly destroy my life, like my mental health, which kind of defeats the point of the benefits, I guess. Anyway, so I'm having all of these thoughts. And again, what I'm doing is I'm fortune telling. I'm predicting the future and how it's going to go. And so the thing to do per my exposure practice is to remind myself that I don't know how the future will go. And to also remind myself that there are there may be possibilities, good or neutral, that I can't conceive of yet which is another thing that's really challenging. Like I, I have a really lackluster imagination. I don't have a great imagination. I can, I can copy paste. I can take something that I've seen before and replicate it. I can take something, multiple things that I've seen before and kind of mash them together and replicate it. So like when I play with a toddler, you know, when we're playing cars together. I have this little car and I'm going boom, 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 boom. And clearly, like that's imagination. I'm pretending to make the sound that this little car would make. But to me, that's mimicking. Like I'm just taking, this is the sound I've heard a car make. And this is, this is what I can do with my mouth. It's as close as I can get to the sound a car makes with my mouth. So I do that. And I don't have the ability to imagine a thing that I've never seen before. So I have never experienced a job that is a healthy sustainable fit for me that compensates me adequately. There's a lot of things I've done that I've enjoyed, but that didn't pay me or didn't pay me well, or didn't pay me enough. And I've never had the experience of having a job and actually being compensated for the amount of value that I brought to a company. And I can't conceive of that ever happening. So I feel really fucking sad about it. Really hopeless. 
And then I have all these other interpretations, right? So what has happened is I have looked at job postings. That's what's happened. And that was the prompting event. And that event prompted thoughts like like the belief that I will not get what I want or need and the belief that my life is hopeless. And so that gets sadness spinning. And then sadness... (laughs) <laughs> the spinning of the sadness emotion wheel functions as a prompting event for more thoughts. You know, I have the thought, like all of this internalized capitalism bullshit, like that my worth is related to my productivity, that I'm only valuable in terms of what I contribute. And of course, the only things that are valuable that I contribute are goods and services. Like it couldn't possibly be that my existence is valuable, that my existence contributes. Um, I have the belief that no one will want me as a partner if I am unable to contribute, if I'm unable to contribute in a specific way through income or services. And that was, that was one of the big, huge bummers of my breakup with my former partner. He didn't tell me this during the breakup, but afterwards, um, after we'd had some distance, that beyond everything acute that had happened right after my psych hospitalizations, because I was hospitalized voluntarily twice, once in, I want to say May, and the other one at the end of July of 2022, um, nope, of 2021, for a week each time. And it was after the second one that he broke up with me. And the reason he gave then was that it was too hard and that he didn't want to be in a relationship anymore. And then after several months of kind of distance, uh, he amended that to that we wanted different things out of life. And he wanted to be with somebody who was an entrepreneur. And when he met me, I was. I uh, was running two businesses. I wasn't making any money at either one of them. (laughs) But I was running two businesses. And he saw me as an entrepreneur like him. And I am not. I am not an entrepreneur. I'm a foot soldier. I don't like having to make the decisions about the direction of a business. I can give informed opinions about choices Like if somebody asked, what would be the repercussions if we did X? I could answer that question. (laughs) Really can't answer the question of what should we we do? Should we do X? Like I can't brainstorm. (laughs) I can't imagine. (laughs) So I'm not an effective entrepreneur. I hated being an entrepreneur. So I left... I left that job. I left one of the companies that I founded um, in the middle of the pandemic. I left it in the middle of the pandemic. I didn't found it in the middle of the pandemic. Um... Because I was having, I had severe burnout, and I then became incapable of working for the second company that I founded. And um, yeah, I have the thought that because I wasn't, I was no longer what my partner thought I was. I was no longer performing the way I was when we met. That I was no longer of interest to him. Granted, that is not what he said. What he said was that he liked that I was an entrepreneur when we met, and that now I am no longer an entrepreneur. Anyway, I just. I'm having the thought that no one's going to want me. (laughs) Um, That I have too many things that preclude me from being a desirable or attractive partner. Like when I started dating him, my former partner, in the summer of 2019, so almost three years ago now, I had one mental illness. And I was running two companies. And now I have been diagnosed with two more mental illnesses. So in addition to PTSD, um, CPTSD, complex PTSD is a new one and major depressive disorder is a new one. And I've also been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. 
So two more mental illnesses and another disability. I'm unemployed, which is another thing that is different. So I have all these things that I'm just like, what What the fuck do I have to recommend me to someone? But again, that's all through a capitalist lens, right? A lens that says I'm only as useful as what I produce. And the only useful things that a person can produce are goods and services. And I can't conceive of anything else. I know that there, there are people, there are people who get paid to go and speak about their experiences. And literally what is valuable about them is them, is who they are, is their story. I know that that exists. I can't conceive of that being true for me, especially because I don't like speaking to other people. <laughs> I don't like being around other people. I like being alone or with one other person or two max. And so it's, it's unfathomable to me that anybody could ever look at me, meet me and say, you are worth pursuing a relationship with by virtue of who you are fundamentally. You don't have to produce anything. You don't have to contribute anything. Like who you are is a contribution. That would be nice. And clearly I have a belief that relationships are transactional, that I need to contribute in some way in order to, um, this is a thought. I'm acknowledging that this is a thought. It is true that I'm having this thought. This does not necessarily indicate that this thought is truth. I have the belief that I need to contribute to somebody in order to make up for, uh, them having to put up with me. I have the belief that who I am fundamentally is a burden and uh, that I'm hard to be around and to love. And that if somebody is around me, they're tolerating me and that I need to make up for that. And that's a, that's an old feeling. Old as in I've had it for a long time. Young as in it started when I was young. So it's a y also a young feeling. Um, I would say that probably showed up around middle school. A lot of, a lot of this trauma showed up around middle school. The belief that I'm fundamentally bad, that I am hard to love, that I am too much and that I need to, that I need to make up for what I subject other people to by being around me. Well, that thought um, triggers sadness because one of the interpretations of events that prompt feelings of sadness on Emotion Regulation Handout 6 is believing that you are worthless or not valuable. You'll notice, so most of the prompting events have a mirror of interpretations. So, like, a prompting event is losing someone irretrievably. And then an interpretation of events that prompt sadness is believing that a separation from someone will last for a long time or will never end. So there's a distinction, right? You can lose someone irretrievably, like say a breakup, a divorce, or a death. Or you can have the belief that you've lost someone irretrievably. And those are separate things. I mean, fuck, that's the whole crux of the ending of Romeo and Juliet, right? They each think the other is dead. Like he thinks that she's dead, so he poisons himself even though she isn't dead. So that is an interpretation that prompts despair and sadness rather than the actual event. 
And then, of course, she actually does kill herself. And now it's an event <sighs> that prompts sadness. But um, my point being that, like, there are a lot of prompting events that have mirrors of prompting interpretations. This thing can happen, or you can think this thing has happened. So there's a lot of pairs between the prompting events section and the interpretation of events. One thing that is not mirrored is believing that you are worthless or not valuable. That's under the interpretations. There is no prompting event that mirrors that. So there is no prompting event for an event that is you are worthless or not valuable because we as humans are worth something and we are valuable. So there's no prompting event for that. There's a prompting interpretation though, which I'm noticing. And this feels distinct from low self-esteem because I've, I've had low self-esteem previously where, you know, if somebody says, hey, you're really good at a thing. And you're like, no, I'm not. Like, I hear all the, hear all the mistakes I see. You know, kind of this like inability to, to be with a compliment. You're hearing my parents in the background and I'm just going to keep talking. Yeah, it's just this, this kind of inability to, to be with a compliment, inability to understand why anybody else would, would like me. This feels different, like a, d a deeper level of insecurity that feels like it's beyond insecurity. <laughs> it's almost like a, a mature version because I remember being insecure as like a teenager. And this feels like somebody took that insecurity and aged it like a fine wine <laughs> or old cheese. Yeah, just looking at myself and being like, what could conceivably recommend me to someone that like my downsides vastly outweigh. I'm having that thought. That is a thought. I'm having the thought that my downsides vastly outweigh whatever contribution I could make. And that I would need to make a massive contribution in order to justify to someone partnering with me. And that is what is triggering the overwhelm, the, the hopelessness of like, I don't have the the wherewithal to make a contribution that big. That's how it is that I end up getting burned out at these jobs. I keep contributing more and more and more and more. And eventually I'm wearing like 17 hats. That's not hyperbole. I started off one job as basically being the assistant bookkeeper, like just entering receipts into QuickBooks. And then the office manager left. So I became the office manager. And then I also did all of the graphic design for all the marketing materials and managed the social media accounts and designed the website and managed the website and did all of QuickBooks entry and invoicing and bill paying. So accounts receivable and accounts payable and HR and payroll and wrote up bids, estimates, and quotes for different work orders and customer service and wrote up the training manual for the project managers and trained the project managers. And I know I'm forgetting things. Um, but yeah, that was all me. That easily could have been five people's jobs. And I learn quickly. I learn really, really, really quickly. And I execute things quickly. So I can hold a lot. And I have limits to what I can hold. But I have the belief that I need to do all of that in order to justify my existence at a job. And clearly to justify my existence in a relationship as well. Which is really fucking discouraging. Because I don't see a way out of that. I don't see a way to learn additional skills 
I have a master's degree. I have two bachelors of science degrees and a master's. And I really don't want to go back to school. I don't want to go back to school. I, I'm not an effective student. I don't learn well from others. I learn best by teaching myself. And so the idea of doing more school is just like, fuck. I don't have the money either to, to like pay for school. And I don't want to go into debt because that's a ship to nowhere. I feel trapped. And that's a thought. I'm having the thought that I'm trapped. That is not the, the thing that is actually happening. That's a thought I am having. And that thought is triggering hopelessness. And all of this makes sense. I don't have imagination. I can't conceive of something I haven't seen or experienced. So I can't conceive of a job that would actually be healthy for me. I can put together pieces, the, the positive outliers, the positive deviants from past jobs, the parts that I liked. I can't conceive of all of those things existing in the same job, especially because a lot of them are mutually exclusive. I just remembered that's another assignment I need to work on. Coming up with a list of a hundred things that I would like in a job. A hundred characteristics. So that was observing my emotions and describing. Observe and describe are mindfulness skills. You can learn more about those on mindfulness handout four in the DBT manual. It's linked in the description. Okay, I got to go back to exposure now. Okay, so, (laughs) so much intellectualization going on. Um, Listening back to that, I'm like, Dude, Joy, you're not actually feeling your feelings. I said at the end that I was doing observe and describe. Not entirely sure that's actually what I was doing. I think I was doing mindfulness of current thoughts. I was labeling my thoughts as thoughts. But again, not really. Like, I was just kind of cherry picking shit and just talking. Really, all I was doing was just talking and digging myself in deeper. It was going down a lot of the same ruts over and over again. And I don't think that's effective. It's certainly not how I want to be. I don't like being in that space. I would like to create new thought ruts. Like it doesn't feel good to keep going over and over and over those same stories, the same history as to why past jobs failed, why I got burned out, what my experiences were, going over and over again, how hopeless I feel. Like It's not to say I want to avoid those feelings, but actually like ruminating on why I feel that way, I've done that (laughs) and it doesn't help. (laughs) Like I've tried that. Let's try something new. So having listened back to what you just heard, I also just heard because I was editing it. um, It has conjured up all of those emotions again, all of that hopelessness, all of that despair. And I thought I would practice a different skill one that I don't actually use all that often, mindfulness of current emotions. I have uh, alexithymia, which the Latin means lack of language for feeling. And I don't have a great access to describing how I feel, feeling how I feel, like actually feeling my body sensations. I can feel them if they get up to a certain threshold, certainly. Like if I get up to 70 to 100 out of 100 on my scale of distress out of 0 to 100, 
I can feel, you know, tightness in my chest and, you know, my stomach upset and whatever else. But by and large, I'm not aware of how my body is feeling. It's just this diffuse tension. I feel tense. And historically, I've spent more time identifying my emotions by identifying the events and the thoughts that I'm having as a way of determining what I'm feeling, like going to emotion regulation handout six, going through the different emotions, looking at the prompting events and the prompting interpretations, and being like, oh, those are the thoughts I'm having. This must be how I'm feeling. And I'm going to try something new that my therapist has suggested. Don't bother trying to put a label to it. Just feel the feeling. Whatever the feeling is, you don't have to name it. Just feel it. So we're going to try that. This is Emotion Regulation Handout 22. Mindfulness of current emotions, letting go of emotional suffering. Observe your emotion. Step back and just notice your emotion. Experience your emotion as a wave coming and going. Now imagine surfing the emotion wave. Try not to block or suppress the emotion. Don't try to get rid of or push away the emotion. Don't try to keep the emotion around. Don't hold on to it. Don't amplify it. Practice mindfulness of body sensations. Notice where in your body you're feeling emotional sensations. Experience the sensations as fully as you can. Observe how long it takes before the emotion goes down. Remember, you are not your emotion. Do not necessarily act on your emotion. Remember times when you have felt differently. Practice loving your emotion. Respect your emotion. Do not judge your emotion. Practice willingness. Radically accept your emotion. So riding the wave is a thing that is mentioned throughout DBT in various other spots. And there's not a lot of like detail as to how one actually rides the wave. So I looked up a couple different like visualizations and this is one that I like. It's from mkewellness.com and I'll link it in the description. Picture yourself at the ocean. If you have a specific spot that comes to mind, visualize it in detail. Imagine yourself sitting on a towel or the sand looking out at the vast ocean. Notice the waves as they come in toward you crashing or gently lapping at the shore, and then receding back out into the sea of blue, in and out. Notice how each in and out wave is unique, sometimes very gentle and slow, other times more chaotic and powerful. Isn't it amazing how each wave is different, yet there's a calming rhythm to the ocean, the image of ocean waves flowing and changing with each cycle can help us better understand our emotions. When we experience an emotion, whether that's joy, anger, sadness, embarrassment, disappointment, anxiety, etc., it can often feel like it's overcome us. Sometimes more painful emotions feel like they will last forever. Through the skill of riding the wave, however, we learn that emotions only last a few minutes and naturally change with time. If we can allow ourselves to observe the emotion without trying to fight it or change it, it will quickly dissipate like an ocean wave being pulled back out to sea. Instead of feeling overcome and powerless to your emotions, try this practice as a way to mindfully observe your emotional experience. Step one, bring awareness to the emotion. Take some time to name the emotion, noticing the nuance in your experience. For example, is it anger or is it frustration, irritation, or even rage? 
Be gentle with yourself and try to take a non-judgmental stance toward the emotion. Step two, connect with the thoughts, urges, and body sensations associated with the emotion. If you're experiencing anxiety, do you notice racing worried thoughts, urges to avoid the situation or person, sweaty palms, a racing heart, or an uneasy stomach? As you get good at recognizing the signs and sounds of your emotions, you can more quickly respond to them. Step three, experience the emotion. Don't try to stop the wave from coming toward you. Don't try to push away or avoid the emotion and don't try to control it. The goal here is to let yourself experience the waves flow in and out. Step four, remind yourself that this feeling is temporary. Keep observing and taking a curious stance toward your emotion as it changes and starts to dissipate. And then it ends with a quote by John Kabat-Zinn gives us a playful way of viewing the practice of riding the wave. You can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf, which is fun. I like that. Okay. So I'm going to actually just sit and feel the feeling that comes up. And there's going to be a lot of pauses because I'm just going to sit and listen to my body. Normally, I would edit these out for an improved listening experience, but I think it's important to actually demonstrate that it takes time. So... Let's get started with how I'm feeling. What am I feeling? What are my feelings? Feels like hopelessness, despair, also some anxiety there. There's fear. I feel a tightness in my chest, in my throat. I'm fidgeting with my fingers, like kind of like picking at my fingernails. My body feels tight, like wound up. I want to run away. I want to get the fuck out. I feel like the tightness in my chest kind of comes in pulses or waves, like it's tight for a bit and then it loosens up and then it comes back and it's tight again. Feel it in the back of my throat. I'm aware of all of the sounds, the sound of my laptop motor, the electricity in the walls, low-grade tinnitus, maybe, maybe it's not tinnitus, maybe it's just the blood rushing in my ears. I feel a tightness in my jaw, watching my jaw clench. I'm feeling my jaw clench. And my tongue is like glued to the roof of my mouth when I'm not talking. Now I feel angry. I'm like jutting out my lower jaw. It's the only part of my jaw I can jut out. I'm holding a lot of tension in my jaw and in my hands. Now I feel sad. Resigned. Small. Vulnerable. 
I just had the thought, this is silly. I just had the thought that this is embarrassing. And there go those thoughts. I'm not going to hold on to them. And now I'm strangely having the experience of compassion, like, oh, like, of course this sucks. Of course you don't want to go back to the same job situations that felt like a prison. Felt like a hole in the earth that you couldn't escape from. Of course you wouldn't want to do that. Of course, you want to imagine something new. And of course, not being able to imagine something new feels threatening. Of course, listening to half an hour of myself just explain the same fucking stories that I've explained on this podcast, in person, to people. Like, I'm bored of these fucking stories, and I'm bored of my fucking perspective around these stories. So now I'm (laughs) having some judgment. I'm judging myself for the recording that I just played for you. I'm having the thought that it was a waste of time. And that this podcast doesn't exist to show people what not to do. And now I'm having the thought that there is value in showcasing failure. There's value in showcasing ineffectiveness. There's value in showcasing missing the mark. And in labeling it as missing the mark. And now I'm having the thought that, of course, that's what I would tell myself to try to make myself feel better. Oh, the inner critic is is noisy today. Deep breath. I really like taking deep inhales and holding at the top. I know that for whatever reason, just doing deep in and exhales always feels like hyperventilating to me. So holding at the top feels really fucking good. And now I feel relaxed. And now I feel tension in my chest. Stretch out the legs. Hang on. And now I feel sad. Now I feel tingly.
feel a tightness in kind of my lower chest, upper abdomen area. I feel tired. Remind yourself that this feeling is temporary. Well, clearly, because even as I'm sitting here, just feeling whatever I feel, it's constantly shifting and changing. I feel sad. Sad at the way that it's gone. Sad at the amount of time that's that's passed that I can't get back. I feel kind of like a fuzziness in my chest. I'm having the urge to to hold myself with care, with compassion. Be like, oh joy. The shit you've survived. I'm also strange. Okay, I feel I'm feeling pride. <laughs> That's weird. Um, I'm having the thought that I am proud of choosing not to just go back to something so that I can go back to something, like in terms of having a job. If I want a different outcome, I have to try something new. And I'm not going to go back to the same thing, to the same patterns, to the same experiences. I'm going to hold out and wait for something that fits, something that feels good, something that is nourishing. Something that holds me with as much dignity and respect as I deserve. I've been having the same thought about dating. Like I don't want to date if the person I'm dating is going to treat me worse than I treat myself. And I'm getting better at treating myself well. I don't want to go backwards. And I feel pride about that. Some satis I guess a, a feeling of satisfaction of like, yeah, yeah, you t you tell him. <laughs> I don't know if longing is a feeling or a thought, but I'm experiencing longing. <laughs> 
a pull towards something expansive and life-giving and nourishing. Towards like a true mutual communal community with mutual care, mutual aid, mutual support. feel tingly. <laughs> feel tension in my chest, in my jaw. feel tingly again. Kind of buzzy. I feel buzzy in my feet. Tightness in my chest. <sighs> Having the thought that I feel connected to myself. That's a new thought. <laughs> Can't say I've had that one all that often. You are here, you are in your body, you are real, you matter. You exist. I am here. I am in my body. I matter. I exist. Trying on some coping thoughts that my brain won't argue with. Okay. It always feels weird to, like, feels very abrupt to say, okay, I'm done now. Um, but I feel pretty centered, pretty grounded, present here in this 
current moment, not in the past and not in the future. I am here (laughs) and now. So that's more effective. (laughs) That's that's more effective than uh, the last half hour long recording of me just digging myself further into my Grand Canyon. I have written at the top of Emotion Regulation Handout 22, which is the handout I just went over. These are my notes from that session, from that group session. There's nothing we can feel that we can't tolerate. Most of the time, target behaviors are to avoid feeling what we feel. And target behaviors can be all sorts of things from self-harm to yelling or throwing things or binging, not eating, drinking, recreational drug use, a whole host of things. They don't have to all be like things that we as a society have labeled bad things, but they're typically behaviors that we use to avoid feeling our feelings. And I think the majority of this practice, this mental health work, which is also just health work that I've been doing, has been around teaching myself that I can feel my feelings, period. I don't have to avoid them. I don't have to try to diminish them. I don't have to ignore them. I don't have to try to make them go away. I can feel them. I can tolerate them. And that won't kill me. It may be unpleasant for a bit. And I can survive experiencing unpleasant things for a bit. Okay. Well, I feel remarkably relaxed because as I was listening to the entire recording, I'm just like, fuck, there's no, I'm not doing anything effectively here. I'm just going over those same wheel ruts over and over again, making them deeper. I don't know how the future will go. It is possible that there are outcomes, both neutral and positive, that I cannot yet conceive of. I like that as a coping thought because... It is a true statement that I don't know how the future will go. That's accurate. My brain thinks it knows. And there's always room for things that my brain won't have predicted. So there may be things, maybe outcomes, maybe, notice I'm not saying will be, there may be outcomes, both neutral and positive, that I cannot yet conceive of. That's true. (laughs) There may be. It's not much to argue with, but I think that's a more effective coping thought to entrench than it's hopeless. Alrighty, so we're going to end on a positive note, which is, I feel, unusual. That's not unusual. Is that unusual? Like I, I try to get to a positive space by the end of each episode. So we're going to end on that positive note. Folks, you guys have been showing up. We're, we've passed the thousand download threshold a month ago. So, and I totally forgot to do this at the beginning. So I'm going to do it now. A massive gargantuan, humongous thank you to my Patreon supporters who are keeping me going with their very generous donations. We've got Sunny and Juicy, Anonymous, Andrew, and the OGs, Anna and Ruth, my sisters who've been with me since the beginning. You all are meritorious big fin gunnels. Yes. (laughs) And are 91.9% of the reason that this podcast exists for public consumption. Thank you so very, very much. And if you, dear listener, would like to support this podcast, the link to my Patreon is in the description. 
Alrighty. Thank you for listening. And uh, yeah, I'm just going to end this super abrupt. This has been Let's Therapize That Shit with your host, me, Joy Gerhard. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about it. I'll see you next time. Intro and outro music is Swan Lake Opus 20 by Tchaikovsky, performed by the London Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Anatoly Fistulari, and released on LP by Richmond High Fidelity London Records in 1952.